Hello everyone, I'm Neil Murphy and welcome to If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a podcast by Glasgow City Heritage Trust about the stories and relationships between historic buildings and people in Glasgow. Now if you follow me on Twitter, you will know how much I enjoy walking around Glasgow. And when you know where to look, there's probably no better way to connect with the history of the city and the hidden stories of the great unsung heroes and heroines who have made it. But there's a catch. Unless you know how and where to look, those hidden characters are likely to remain, well, hidden, and not least the heroines. So in this episode, I'm delighted to be following the evidence uncovered by the wonderful Women Make History detectives of Glasgow Women's Library. So, women make history. Those three words might challenge a more mainstream view of the world and the way that we see the built environment. Um, so, for instance, you know, and this is very much a perception issue, that cities like Glasgow appear to have a distinctly muscular and masculine look. And grand historic buildings and others that are less grand than every day were invariably designed, constructed, and almost always owned by men, or at least that's perception. And the issue is, well, is that actually the case? And so, you know, it's that whole kind of idea that we live in this kind of masculine environment that gave rise to Glasgow Women's Library more than 30 years ago. And as their website explains, Glasgow Women's Library came into being partly as a response to the overarching masculine narratives in Glasgow's approach to being the European city of culture in 1990. A pioneering project, then known as Women in Profile, set out to show that women were very much part of Glasgow's social and cultural history. And it has been a remarkable success story. So Glasgow Women's Library has grown from a small community venture in Garnet Hill, run by volunteers with no funding, to become a nationally respected institute. So it is the UK's only accredited museum devoted to women's lives, histories, and achievements. And the library is now housed in their splendid East End premises in Bridgeton, which is a former library which um, Glasgow City Heritage Trust helped grant fund repairs to. And it is a treasure trove of artifacts and archives with a team of expert paid staff. But there are also volunteers who work there. So volunteers are fundamental to the work of the library with its aim of empowering women in every walk of life. And it's the volunteers, Glasgow Women's Library's very own women to make history detectives who research and lead the walks, revealing and celebrating the lives and achievements of the many women who have made history in Glasgow. So to tell us how it's done, let's meet today's special guest, Gabrielle Macbeth, who is the volunteer coordinator working with the library's dedicated volunteers, and Annabelle Marsh, a former librarian who, after 10 years, is now one of the library's longest-serving volunteers. So a very warm welcome to the podcast for you both. Thank you. Thanks for that great introduction. Uh, it's good to have you both on board. So first off, let's, let's, let's dive in with our first question for you. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover here, and there's many years of history to look at too. But perhaps we should begin in Glasgow's West End. So in 2007, Glasgow Women's Library made history by creating the first Women's Heritage Walk, a groundbreaking walking tour which set out to focus on women who had helped shape Glasgow's history. So can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, sure. So there's always lots of interest in in women's history in in the Women's Library. And uh, at the time, I think we were becoming really aware of People saying, oh, we need to do something, we need to do something that's reaching out to, to people outside of the Glasgow Women's Library that engages uh, people with women's history. 
so in yeah 2006 2007 was the team at that time decided right well we'll we're gonna we're gonna do something but we're not too sure what what that could be uh but we convene a group of women who are interested um together and start to think like what kind of activity could we offer that would highlight women's diverse and you know multiple contributions uh to the city and i think there were some pamphlets from the council's heritage walks kind of lying around and and they were picked up and it was uh, a case of going oh well women are really absent in in these uh, so it was a, a quite logical jump to then think oh well um how about we create our own alternative version of this that that forefronts women's contributions and um that's where it that's where it began um and we got together a group of yeah women who were interested in doing some research who hadn't necessarily done much of that before um but were like keen to to uncover it right and so yeah after some some research and and uh that process the the, the west end women's heritage walk was was born and it was launched in 2007 and we ran it as part of the west end festival for uh quite a few years brilliant and then over the years other walks were researched and, and developed Okay. And can you tell me something about any of the kind of the, the characters that emerged from all of this research that you were doing? Annabelle, do you want to jump in? And- <laughs> yes, yes, I can. Well, um, we've now got um, about six, well, we've definitely got six walks that are all available in the library as leaflets, or you can download them from our website, womenslibrary.org.uk. And you can have them as audio files as well. And then in the summer, we guide the walks maybe six or so every season. Right. And we've got some longer trails that we don't offer as guided walks but can also be downloaded. So we've got two for suffragettes and one for LGBTQ history. Okay. So, I mean, there's all sorts of of characters. I mean, Gabby was talking about the West End Walk, which was Mm -hmm. our our first one. So um, you get people like... Big Rachel, who was um, part of the party riots, well, part of controlling the party riots. Okay. Um, we start at Kelvin Grove on the West End one, and we talk about how there is art by women in there, but most of the art is through a male gaze. If you look up at the top of Kelvin Grove on the, the roof line, there are lots of images of women, sculptures yes, of women, yes. but you know, they're muses, they're not real women. There were only yeah. four actual women in Glasgow named women to have statues. So we yes. try and bring yeah. out who they are. Absolutely, because, yeah, all, all of them is fascinating, fascinating history. So Yeah. I mean, one of those is Isabella Elder, for example, who is the, well, if, if, if she hadn't given the money for Queen Margaret College, that would have been really difficult. She was one of the people who made higher education for women a priority. So we talk about her on the West End Walk. We talk about some of the first women graduates, like Marion Gilchrist. She was the first doctor to graduate in 1894. I mean, the university had been there since 1451, but it wasn't until 1894 that uh, they actually gave women some degrees. And a very touching thing to me is that Marion Gilchrist was then the doctor who signed Isabella's death certificate when she died in 1905. 
Tell, tell me something I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know. Is, Isabella Elder, because it's something that really annoys me, that her monument in Elder Park has Mrs. John Elder on it, which yes. to me is just really great. I think that's what Isabella wanted, really. Oh, really? Because, she did yeah, want that? She okay, saw that's herself as, I mean, people did in those days, she saw herself as Mrs. John Elder. And uh, she has... You know, there's the Elder Park Library, there's mm-hmm, Elder mm-hmm. Park itself, there's Elder House. Yes. You know, all these things she was really doing in memory of her husband, right. who was, of course, John Elder, who owned the the Fairfield shipyard. So when he died quite young, she was left with a lot of money. And uh, that's how she choos- chose to use it as a philanthropist mm-hmm, in her mm-hmm. own city. Yes, absolutely. Uh, she does enormous good works in the city, um, which is very interesting. There is another, um, it's not a statue though, um, there's a, a, a rondel on a building on Govan Road, which is to Jane Whitebrand, mm-hmm. which I try and point out, um, you know, I've, 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 I've pointed out on Twitter before, and that was, uh, Jane Whitebrand was really interesting because, again, she's a major Govan figure, that she ran the Govan newspaper, um, you know, notionally with her husband, but he, again, died quite young. And she had to manage that newspaper for 36 years after his death, which is why she's commemorated on, on that building. Um, but it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, to me, um, now I've done a lot of work on George Square. The complete, and it comes up every time I do a walking tour of George Square, the complete imbalance between men. And you know, there's a whole 50% of the population that's completely missing from Glasgow's story in that square, which I just think is outrageous. Unless you're Queen Victoria. Well, absolutely. But Queen Victoria is only there because she is the monarch. That's it. Otherwise, she would not be there either. And that, to me, you know, is disgraceful. I think, you know, we, we have to tell that story better. And it's a whole kind of missing aspect to our story that, um, you know, the city, I think, needs to address. It's worth checking out um, Sarah Sheridan's book, um, which gives this kind of, yeah, fictionalised account of what Scotland would look like if streets and yeah places were were named af- after women um, and it's a, yeah she's introduces so many incredible incredible women who we should know more about Abs- absolutely yeah and te- teasing out those stories is kind of absolutely crit- critical to me um, and of course statues aren't the only thing and we are getting no. a bit better at other kinds of uh, memorials you know like one of the things that we pass in the East End, for instance, is the memorial to the girls that were killed, and, and they were girls, you know, they were as young as 14, some of them, mm-hmm. in the Templeton disaster. Um, when when the factory was built, the wall blew down onto the weaving sheds, and outside Carlton Community Centre, the, every single girl or young woman has her name and age recorded on there. So, you know, people might walk past that, and not even know it's there. So, yes. you know, it is a memorial. It's not a statue, but that is the sort of thing that we want to bring out and draw to people's attention. Yes, very much. So, I mean, do, do you think that um, the walks have had like a good impact in that regard, that, that you know, you've been able to use the, the walks to kind of uncover stories and get that message out to people? Well, I think so. And, and uh, you know, as we've done them over the years, people tend to be, less surprised by some of the stories so you get the feeling that they have heard them before for instance um we always used to get gasps when we revealed that St Enoch is a woman 
<laughs> uh, because a lot of people didn't know that. But yes. now I think that is less the case. Yeah. And uh, for those that don't know, St Enoch is another name for St Fenu, who yes. is possibly the earliest woman we talk about. She was a 5th or 6th century princess who was the mother of St Mungo, so effectively the mother of Glasgow. And there is a sort of wall plaque at the back of the St Enoch Centre that lists all the different variations of her name from Fenu to, to Enoch. But but still, it is a surprise to some people that, you know, they've been walking through this memorial to a woman. Mm. And had no idea. Doing their shopping for years yes. and, yeah. and they have no idea. Yes. I didn't know about that that, that plaque. I'll have to go and have a, yeah, have a look at that. Yeah, it's the back of the food court. Right. Okay. Oh, very interesting. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll need to look at that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because to me, it's just... It's this whole kind of hidden history that needs to be teased out. And it's so, um, I find it really objectionable that it's, it's you know, that the, the, this has been concealed. I mean, things like, I don't know whether you knew her at all, but Cordelia Oliver, who was, um, her archive is now up in um, the Glasgow School of Art um, archive in the Whiskey Bond. And uh, she was the arts correspondent for the Herald. And she could not, this was in the 1950s, she could not use her own name. She had to be referred to as the arts correspondent mm-hmm. because they couldn't have a woman writing for the paper. And yet she's talking about all this great art in Glasgow and she's not allowed to use her own name. I mean, it's just bizarre. So I find find those kind of things really frustrating and I'd, I'd really like to see those those stories kind of being emerging and being told. Mm-hmm. That somebody who had, and she was instrumental in helping set up things like... Um, the, the fringe in Edinburgh, um, which she always joked about because she was a Glasgow girl. And, um, you know, the fringe really should have been in Glasgow, but well, no, ne- never mind, it's over in Edinburgh. Um, but, you know, things, and she was also instrumental in the Citizens Theatre. And, you know, stories like that need to be teased out somehow mm-hmm. and made, made clearer to people. No, I didn't know about that one. But yes, there are still lots of stories that we don't know about that. And the the walks are always developing and growing, and we add things in as people tell them about us, or we change the route slightly as we find out about other people. Okay, well, can you can you take us on a, a walk then? Um, you know, around around say one of your tours, and say you know, for instance, you know, your groundbreaking tour of the West End. You know, where does it lead? The West End one is possibly the one that most relates to the built environment because we basically go around the perimeter of the university. I mean, when you get to the Gobbles Walk, for instance, you know, it's been flattened twice by the, mm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, since the things that we're talking about. So you have to use a lot of imagination, whereas the West End, everything is there. As I said, we start at um, Kelvin Grove. We go down to what was Anderson College, where we talk about the higher education of women. And then we can also talk about the education of women when they were children so because there's still church street primary school there so we can sort of compare and contrast what a working class girl would Mm -hmm. have learned there with what the middle class girls in the private school up the road would have been learning they would have been getting achievements and you know refinements and piano playing and french and you know the other girls would be learning how to be wives and mothers that sort of thing sure absolutely Um, we talk about the suffragettes because um, well, we talk about the suffragettes in two places on this walk because oh, over 20 years ago now 
on International Women's Day, some of the students got up early and they renamed all the buildings at Glasgow University after women <laughs> because they're all currently after men. So yes. a, you know, they chose a lot of suffragettes. And we talk about that. And then we also then go past the Isabella Elder building at Glasgow University, which mm -hmm. was the first one to be called after a woman. It's not a very pretty building, but it is called after Isabella. Good. Um, we, as I said, we talk a, a lot about her. We go past the Macintosh house so we can mm -hmm. point out that, uh, you know, Charles Rennie Macintosh was very famous, but Margaret MacDonald, his wife, was a very well-renowned artist in her own right. Uh, absolutely. They are they're a complete and, artistic pairing. And that should really be respected. It's not just him. And he totally acknowledges that in all of his letters to her, that, you know, that this was a, a full relationship and a full partnership. I have talent. Margaret has genius, was basically what he said. Uh -huh. And then we finish off at the Suffragette Oak at the top of University Avenue, uh, well, Kelvin Way, University Avenue, that junction, yes. which was planted in 1918 by suffragettes after the first women got the vote. And despite the best work of Storm Ophelia a few years ago, it's still standing because it did lose a lot of its branches and mm -hmm. had to have a lot of attention. And it wasn't entirely clear that it was going to survive, but it has. Great. And in 2015, the library nominated it as tree of the year, which it duly won. So <laughs> Fantastic. we're very proud of our oak. Very good. Um, okay, so your, your walks are full of fascinating stories and there are 12 stops on each guided walk. And so that's obviously, that's a lot of background research that you have to do. So what does it take to become a woman make history detective? And how do you plot the roots and seek out the woman on each trail? Well, so our, our history detectives come from all walks of life, I think. Um, as I said earlier, we're not necessarily looking for people who have tons of research experience. Each time we've developed a walk, we've put a call out and said, anyone interested, anyone from this area, maybe who lives there, want to come and, and join our, our team. And we've had um, we've always had someone who's facilitated the research and been able to you know, guide people as to where you go and find this information. So yes, yeah, so it's drawn it's drawn lots of people, local women who are just like, oh, I've lived here all my life, I want to learn more, or I know lots already. Um, people who are maybe new to those areas or new to the city who are using this as a way of finding out about Glasgow. But the, yeah, the, I mean, the process usually yields a lot more information than we can actually include in a two-hour walk, um, which goes to show, you know, it's not difficult to find this, this information if you go looking for it. Um, so the process always then involves a lot of like paring it down and deciding what works as a as a trail as a, a walkable route within two hours and um, what are the stories that we think are going to engage audiences the most I think there's probably some wrangling that goes on as well because some people are like but I really want this woman's story in and it's like well we can't include everyone so a bit of di diplomatic work <laughs> goes on uh, but that research doesn't get lost you know we we hold on to it so it can be used in other ways. Yeah, I've I've had sim similar experiences um, doing doing walking trails on the south side, and there's like you know some really interesting stories, but they are just off what would be you know a potential route. They're just too far away to make it feasible, um, you know, within within a certain time frame, and that it can be hugely frustrating that when you've got a, a really juicy nugget sitting there, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's a shame, and it's an iterative process because each time the walks are delivered. 
the guides say, you know, we're, if anyone's got any additional information, please, please contribute that. So we were in a, always updating the scripts and adding new information as it, as it comes to life. Um, and I think audiences really value that, that we're recognizing their local knowledge yes. as well. And, uh, are able to incorporate that. So it sounds like a real labor of love. Um, and, and do, you know, do the volunteers make strong connections with, with, with women on the trail? And, you know, is it difficult, therefore, to, ch- to choose whose story to tell? We certainly do. Um, as you've probably gathered from what I've talked about so far, uh, one of my favorite women is Isabella Elder. Mm-hmm. She was the first one that I fell in love with, if you like, mainly yes. because of what she did for higher yes. education. Yeah. For women, and also because she built a library, you know, and I'm a librarian. <laughs> she gave money to um, the engineering departments at Glasgow and what became Strathclyde, and my husband's a, an academic engineer. So, you know, she just seemed to really speak to me. So I'm very happy that we've got her in the West End Walk, and we also talk about her in the Necropolis Walk mm-hmm. because she's buried up there in the Elder family tomb. Right. Um, but she's kind of been superseded in my um, my heart. My favourite woman is now uh, one called Jessie Stephen, uh-huh. who was, um, well, she's probably the only working class Scottish suffragette that we really know anything much about. And uh, she was born in 1893, so she was quite a young suffragette. Okay. And what she did was... She worked as a domestic servant and she took part in the pillar box outrage, as the Glasgow Herald put it, where the suffragettes would put ink or acid into the pillar boxes. And uh, she was able to use her working class identity as a sort of shield for that, because as she said, you know, she was in her uniform, black dress, lace Mm -hmm, cap mm -hmm. and cuffs. You know, nobody was going to look at her, much less think that she was a subversive, you know, about to attack a pillar box and I don't know she was just an amazingly feisty woman when she was 16 she was uh, vice chair of the independent labor party in Mary Hill wow she was very concerned about the conditions that she and other servants worked with so mm-hmm. um, she set up the Scottish Domestic Workers um, Federation in 1913 so remember she was born in 1893 so mm-hmm. this was when she you know, by the time she was 20 she'd done all this Wow! Um, and then she was headhunted by Sylvia Pankhurst during the First World War went off to work for her in London uh-huh. and never really lived in Glasgow again but you know she grew up here she's one of ours um, she's just amazing and um I think she gives an interesting contrast to Isabella in terms of, you know, the built environment, because with a rich woman like Isabella, she's pretty much in control of her legacy. She's left buildings. Her house is still there. Yes. Um, She's on the gates, the commemorate, you know, the commemorative gates at Glasgow University. She has a statue. There's a portrait of her in Kelvin Grove. You know, she's obvious. Yes. But Jessie, you have to sort of more tease out her relationship mm-hmm. with the city, but she's still there because you can identify. I know two of the houses that she worked in as a servant, and from that I've become a bit obsessed with post boxes. So 
you know, I've been sort of looking around what post box could it be that she, she used? Yeah, and it's yes. an amazing amount of Victorian and Edwardian post boxes still about the place. And there's one Indeed. just opposite one of the houses that she worked. So uh-huh. I kind of post my letters in there and think, this is where <laughs> Jessie stood. <laughs> That's amazing. Which houses did she work in? Well, she worked in the West End. Um, I don't want to give addresses particularly, but this one is. Uh, one of the terraces off Great Western Road and there's a post box just on the other side of Great Western Road. So. Right, okay. So what, what happened to Jessie? I mean, obviously she went off down to London. What happened to her? How did you manage to find her history? Well, as I say, she's one of the few, if not only, Scottish suffragette that we know anything about, but, but she has actually been quite easy to find out about because she left records. She wrote her own autobiography. It was never ah. published, but it is now available online through the Working Class Movement Library in Manchester and she was interviewed in the 1970s by Spare Rib and also by uh, a man called Brian Harrison who interviewed as many surviving suffragettes as he could find and there are several hundred of them actually which is quite surprising but she's one of them so there's about two hours of Jessie talking online through the Women's Library in London. Oh that's fantastic you can hear her. Yeah. So she wasn't difficult to find out about uh, and also because she um, she never married, so she didn't have the responsibility of a husband and children. So, you know, she wasn't as reticent about getting caught or, you know, being very opinionated. Yes, yes, she had less to lose. She was a counsellor in several different places. She toured North America lecturing about socialism and the labour movement. And oh, that's fantastic. She never became an MP. But uh, she mixed with people like Barbara Castle and Tony Benn, who were at her funeral. So Hugely respected then. Yeah. An, an amazing person, but not that much known about. Yeah. No, that's fascinating to hear. Um, and it, handily enough, it brings, brings me on to my next question. And it's something of a theme um, for this podcast that we kind of look at housing issues in Glasgow. So one of the things we're really interested in is the rent strikes in 1915 and how um, Glaswegian women helped to, to change the history because that, you know, that was a national event that started in Govan and then spread right across the UK and resulted in the, you know, the government at the time stepping in. So... Is that something that you explore in the Heritage Walks? We do. Um, we don't go to Govan. We don't have a walk there. But we do have um, a section on this in our East End Walk when we go to Glasgow Green, because, of course, Glasgow Green has been the site of hundreds, thousands of protests over the years. So we talk there about you know the suffragettes rallied there, um, the, the Glasgow Women's Housing people that you're talking about, people like Mary Barber, Helen Crawford. Yeah, yes. Um, but they also were part of the, the Women's Peace Crusade as well in 1917. So mm-hmm. so we kind of link all that together. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about activist women and not just the very historic ones, you know, there are other women sort of in the later part of the 20th century that we talk about. We've got people like Betty McAllister in the Carlton, who was um, an activist there and who famously told Margaret Thatcher when she came to visit that she could stick the poll tax where the sun don't shine. <laughs> and um, Betty Brown, who uh, uh-huh. was yeah. the leader of the community council in Garnet Hill in the 
80s and 90s and sort uh-huh. of took the place by the scruff of the neck. And uh, both of those women, working class women, uh, Betty McAllister worked in a fish shop. Betty Brown was a cleaner at STV, but they created, um, you know, such a lot for their own communities. And both of them were actually made um, Scots Women of the Year in different years. So, so they were acknowledged and, and we try to acknowledge them in our walks as well. That's fantastic. Um, okay, next question then. Um, you know, Glasgow and the city, it's obviously always changing all the time. So after more than a decade of um, doing women's heritage walks, are you seeing any signs that Glasgow is becoming a less masculine city? Like Annabelle said, I think some some of the things that our true guys reveal get slightly less of a gasp. And I, I think the Women's Library's played a role in highlighting women's roles um but i don't think we can take all the credit i think there's generally (laughs) a a better understanding of how much women's history has been overlooked and and sidelined but there are clearly so many more stories to to be uncovered uncovered it's been said that only i think 0.5 percent of recorded history is about is about women right yeah there's still plenty to to uncover and record and i sometimes think our our tour guides and our history detectives sometimes rescue information from literally dropping off into the abyss and then it's lost forever. There are things that are, that are fragile. So yes. there's definitely a need to be continuing to do this work and to do it with a sense of, mm-hmm. <laughs> with, of urgency. So it's, I mean, it's great to see other, other groups doing really great work as well. Uh, the, the protests and suffragettes group have done a huge amount of work, obviously focusing on, the suffrage movement. Um, we've also worked with a group called Thistles and Dandelions, which is a heritage project. Yes, yes, I know them. Yes, is, yeah, and they look specifically at um, unearthing and making visible the yeah stories relating to ethnic minority women in the city. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's still there's still definitely a lot to to be done, but I like to think that the less masculine sides of of Glasgow are becoming. More, more visible and we're getting a more rounded view of yes. who's made the city and contributed to, to it yes absolutely um, one of my I, I did um, three walking trail leaflets of Pollock Shields and one of my big regrets as part of that because um, it covered both um, kind of the east and the west sides of Pollock Shields on the south side of Glasgow and also um, who had developed the whole area but my big regret was I always intended there to be um a fourth walking trail leaflet, which was about the Asian experience of Pollock Shields, because it's, you know, obviously it's, it's one of the most uh, multicultural areas in Scotland that, and, and neighboring Govan Hill. And I've always hoped that somebody at some point would begin to, to tell those stories because they're absolutely, you know, they, they're, they're a cool part of Glasgow's story as well. So, you know, that, that, that diversity is so important. Absolutely. And capturing that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everyone has a right to history. Yes. That's it, and there's so much missing from the mainstream yes. narrative. But it's about empowering people to be able to tell that story. You can't go out and tell it for them because somebody asked me, mm. "Why didn't you do it if you felt so strongly about it?" It was like because it shouldn't be coming from me. That wouldn't that wouldn't be appropriate. I think that's true. I think that's what we loved working with the thistles, thistles and dandelions group. Uh, they actually came on three or four of our walks uh, to get a sense of how how we do it and had chats with various tour guides, but. It's just so great to see them thinking, well, we have our story to tell as well mm-hmm. and having pride 
in that and, and sharing it with more people. Very much. I think it's very heartening when we see uh, men come on the women's heritage walks because I feel really strongly that this isn't just women's history that's aimed at women. You know, we've I've had to learn about men's history my entire life, so um, yes, and that's never been questioned. <laughs> um, and I think the same is our responsibility to learn and as a white person to learn about the history of black and, and minority ethnic people in our city. Absolutely. I did, um, this is a, a wee bit funny, that was back back in 2017, I helped out with, there's a leaflet woman war in the West End. And um, yeah, they couldn't, it was sponsor, sponsored by various funders. And they, but part of it was there had to be a walking tour for it. And they couldn't find anyone to do the walking tours and eventually asked me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is slightly awkward, but if you're really struggling, I'll do it for you. <laughs> and it was really fascinating um, learning the history about that. And again, I just think, I think it's obviously my mother brought me up the right way, but I think it's really important Mm -hmm. to know that because it gives you a proper rounded view of the, of the history of the place, not just a one-sided one or, you know, whoever was on top at a particular time. So, okay, then, um, what is next of you? What's, what's on the horizon for the women's history detectives? And is there anything you would like to to develop and um, what gives you the most pride so far? Well, wow, multi-part question. Um, <laughs> well, on the horizon, uh, we so we're co- continuously reviewing our trails. So that's kind of ongoing work, and we recruited um, seven new volunteer guides last summer. Wow! Uh, which yeah it was yeah great to see that so many people were keen to get involved, and lots of young women as well. Good. Uh, so yeah, they're they're learning the scripts and and learning the ropes, and we'll be delivering those walks from April onwards we've got a few uh, walks planned for the next few months we're also we're working in Deniston and we're not necessarily going to develop a women's heritage walk in that area because it's it depends what what the group wants to do but we've just started a series of workshops there to uncover the hidden histories of women in in that area and that's a year-long project so uh, yeah kind of looking forward to seeing who we uncover and what what becomes of that information I heard murmurs of a women's heritage walk, but <laughs> it's very early days, so I don't want to commit any of my colleagues to uh, to doing to doing that. Um, Annabelle, I don't know. Do you want to answer the question well, about? I was going to say, I think the pandemic made us look at everything in a, a different way again, and mm-hmm. we had to find a different way of of still engaging with this material and people that wanted to know about it. So. Um, we did a series of Twitter walks. We did all our walks on Twitter. Right, um, okay. N- not not literally, and I mean, it was quite, you know, this is one I prepared earlier because it's quite tricky to get meaningful information into a tweet. But uh, yeah. two of us, myself and another volunteer, Louise, we divided them between us and they were really popular. Good. They, they went down very well and another volunteer melody made some trailers for the walks so we kind of used the time that we couldn't take people out mm-hmm. actually into the environment by doing it virtually sure yes i, I did one or two of those myself yeah it's quite yeah. good fun yeah we always um as gabby says we're always revising and changing the routes and again it's sort of pandemic related but the friends of glasgow necropolis have renovated three historic stones um to nurses and as a sort of tribute to the NHS they did that after the pandemic so now we're right. kind of looking at our route to how we can redesign that to take 
maybe one or two of those in. So that's another project to just to make sure we don't get bored. Who who comes on your walks in terms of you know the, the, is it people from outside of Glasgow, people within Glasgow? How, how does that how does that work? Oh, it's a mix. Yeah, I mean, I think the furthest I can remember having somebody is from Australia. Mm-hmm. Some you know quite often we get people who are just here on holiday or visiting family or something, and they come on the walks. But uh, I would say it's mostly fairly local people, but we do get quite a lot of people from other countries, which is nice that they're going to go home with this view of Glasgow. And you get good feedback at the end? Always, yes. <laughs> yes. The, the negative ones are things like, well, we could have had a cup of tea, but I mean, we just don't have time to have a <laughs> cup of tea. So. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's fair to say that most people enjoy it and, you know, they're they're very complimentary about the guides, which is nice. It sort of makes you feel quite good about it. When I did the the Woman War in the West End once, we always ended in the pub. Mm. So so it was in um, Webster's Theatre. You know, there's a pub at the back of Webster's Theatre on Great Western Road. Uh And so that was was really nice because it was was around November time. And um, so they've got fantastic kind of, you know, roaring fire in there. And, um, you know, you could end up with having a really good chin wag with folk mm. that you wouldn't otherwise ordinarily meet. Mm. So really, really enjoyable experience. So I, I find doing, doing walking tours really rewarding because it's not just you telling people the stories. They, you're getting their opinions and their stories too out of it. So it's a really, to me, it's, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant educational tool in both directions. We've done tours for, for closed groups as well um, and we sometimes get asked to offer a tour as part of someone's conference so they might have a gathering of feminist academics visiting you know coming to a conference and we're offering them a, a tour and I, I love the idea that those those people are leaving the city having had a real women's focus on on the city and that that's what they're coming out coming away with yes but people yeah people really engage with it and our guides are brilliant at presenting the information in ways that are accessible to people who might have quite a lot of background in like Glasgow and Scottish history and then yeah adapting that for people who who don't sometimes I suppose we do assume that people yeah know who St Mungo is if we're talking about St Enoch so yeah and we've also started offering shorter walks because our walks are typically two hours long but we really recognize that that can be feel like a long time for for some so we trialed a one hour walk of um, the east end last summer and we're planning on doing that again and offering it in two shorter sessions yes i did did that one one year for doors open day rather than doing um long walking tours which i had been used to doing mm. i did half an hour half hour lunchtime tours instead throughout the week mm. so in just around little parts of the city center and it was the idea was to give somebody who was stuck in the office a chance to get out and you know go go for a go for a break um, and see a bit of the city while they're at it and kind of explain the city while they're at it. And so those are quite popular, So which was, which was quite interesting. Okay, so um, this is the final question then. And this is a completely loaded question because we ask everybody who comes on our podcast this, which is, what is your favourite building in Glasgow on or off uh, Women's Heritage Walk? And what would it tell you if its walls could talk? Who goes first? I'll go first. Um, I'm going to go um, off the women's library walks because I also um, have a women's a women's heritage walk in Mary Hill. Right. That I do out of Mary Hill Borough Hall, so I'm going to choose it as my mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. favourite building. Nice choice. And I think what it tells is also the developing role of women because its unique selling point is the set of 20 stained glass windows that were made for the mm. opening in, eight, in the 1870s, Stephen Adam. Yes. And they show, unlike, you know, when you normally get stained glass windows, it's religious scenes or classical mm-hmm. scenes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's sort of ordinary working people going about their lives, doing their yes. jobs. And of those 20, two show women. Right. Now, okay, Stephen Adam just showed what he saw. That's fair enough. And then you look, they have on display a picture of the original opening of the halls, and it's just this sea of men everywhere. Right. Rows and rows of men. And then next to it, they've got the picture of the opening after the halls had been renovated in 2012. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a lovely mix. There's lots of women involved there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that you can see that that is showing the progression of women and our increasing role in society. And and I have to say, I thought when, when I was asked to do a women's heritage walk there, I thought it might be quite difficult to turn up stories, but it wasn't. They're there if you look and you've just got mm-hmm. to think a little bit laterally and tease them out. Mm-hmm. What about you then, Gabrielle? I've chosen to talk about the building the Houses Glasgow Women's Library. Uh, I spend a lot of time there um and I, I i do love it and i love uh turning up uh to work and it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some mornings it's even more beautiful than than others uh for those who haven't visited it's uh in bridgeton and it's um a carnegie library so yes um, it's beautiful it is beautiful and we've been there almost 10 years and have done a lot of work to make it fit for our purposes and to look after it as well um done quite a lot of yeah repairs the roof and, and the stonework and we're now working towards making it we helped it. out with the stonework and the roof so, yes, uh, uh, so yes. <laughs> being, being up the scaffold was fantastic because the carvings are really beautiful on it yeah but you also appreciate how much the kind of the, the pollution in Glasgow must have damaged the building because mm. um, obviously it's all been stone cleaned now and it looks you know lovely kind of blonde sandstone now but you were, some of it is really badly weathered because of all that pollution so yeah, there was damage but uh, to me, I think it, it's uh, if the walls could speak, you know, they would talk of the importance and the power of public libraries and of free, accessible public spaces. It's been at the heart of Bridgeton for 120 years almost. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's now it's now home to the Women's Library. Um, and it's, a, you know, a really wonderful, dynamic and, and loved and careful space that offers opportunities for for women and others to come and and learn and we have a beautiful new sign uh by an artist called Rabia Chowdhury oh I'll have to go and see that yes please do it's brand new and it's part of a wider project uh by the common guild mm-hmm. um and the sign it's borrowed the flame motif which was Carnegie's kind of emblem and the words it has the words of an african-american civil rights activist called ella baker and it says give light and people will find the way and that's beautiful a really beautiful phrase uh but the the project is it's got there's uh four other artists who have been commissioned as well uh to reflect on um on public libraries and the importance of public libraries past and present and and future right I loved your previous sign as well, by the way. I was a real fan of that too. But that is very nice, and I must go must go make the visit to see it. 
and completely agree with you, Annabelle, about uh, uh, Mary Hill Borough Halls and uh, Stephen and Adam Stained Glass, which is really superb. I mean, he was a really good artist. And how he manages to capture um, the woman's role there as well is incredibly important. That reminded me of a story Dr. Nina Baker tells about the city chambers. She does a really good talk about the city chambers, one of which was how kind of badly designed it was from a woman's point of view, which was when they held the opening kind of, you know, a banquet and dance and all of these, you know, men obviously brought their wives along too. The toilet provision for women was next to non-existent. There was like one toilet in the basement and everything else was for men. And you're like, <sighs> it kind of sums up Victorian because Nobody planned for that kind of thing at the time. And you're thinking, yeah. how did you not know to anticipate this? <laughs> you wouldn't design for 50% of the population. Really shocking. But um, yeah, it's all of these spaces end up getting adapted over time for everybody. Mm. That's the key thing. And it's te- teasing teasing out that history so everybody's history is recorded. That's what's so important about this. But thank you very much. That was a really enjoyable talk. Thank you. And, um, thank you. Yes, I'm so glad to meet people who really enjoy doing walks as well as much as I do. So it's fantastic. It's a really rewarding thing to do. It's the thing I enjoy the most. Well, so do we. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. It's much appreciated. No problem. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Glasgow City Heritage Trust is an independent charity and grant funder that promotes the understanding, appreciation and conservation of Glasgow's historic built environment. Do you want to know more? Have a look at our website at glasgowheritage.org.uk and follow us on social media at Glasgow Heritage. This podcast was produced by Inner Ear for Glasgow City Heritage Trust. The podcast is kindly sponsored by the National Trust for Scotland and supported by Tunnocks.